prepare to turn right. Welcome to episode three of Prepare to Turn Right. It is just me again. Um, I promise we have some really fun, kind of more unique um, episodes coming out. So definitely look forward to those. But for now, we're just going to talk the news. But I do have kind of a little bit of a different plan for going through some of the stories. Because I was looking through them, I... I noticed a theme that it wasn't really even intentional. It just kind of, I noticed a bunch of stories kind of fit into this one theme. And I figured that it would be kind of an interesting episode if I could use that theme and kind of weave it through all these different stories. And that would be that we are living in 1984. There is no denying it at this point. So before I start, of course, this means I have to explain a little bit for those of you who haven't read 1984 what it is about and just a general background so we're not completely in the dark so first of all if you haven't read 1984 highly recommend it's one of my favorite books ever um it's so it's so good um and it's brilliant it's prophetic in so many ways and the basis of the story the premise is that it's this dystopian society and there's this totalitarian government called the party or called Big Brother. That's where the phrase Big Brother comes from. Um, Big Brother is watching you. Um, and essentially in this government, the it's totalitarian. It has complete control over every aspect of the citizens' lives. And the way that they kind of control, they control, you know, what you think, what you eat, the jobs you do, they control every single tiny minuscule aspect of your life. And the way they do that is through controlling the language, through controlling what you say and what you think and what you believe to be true. So they'll do things like they create a new language, essentially, where it kind of narrows the range of thought. It controls what thoughts you're able to have um, that's their end goal anyway, to control your thoughts through controlling language. They'll control, um, manipulate language and manipulate history. They'll say things like there's country that they're in is Oceania and there's two other countries in this dystopian future, East Asia and Eurasia. And oftentimes they'll switch, they'll be at war kind of with one or the other and oftentimes which country they're at war at will switch. But they'll, this is just an example of how they manipulate history. Whenever they switch whichever country they're at war with, they will change all the documents. They'll change every record of them ever being at war with a different country. So that it's just this perpetual present, basically. It's this just present where the party is always correct, you know, where, oh, we were always at war with this country. They gaslight the public and they manipulate the people in this society into believing that history does not matter. History is just about who controls it. And they change um, the language so that you can't think certain thoughts. They, It's really just about complete and total manipulation using language and using a manipulation of language and history to achieve this. Um, we have the main character, Winston Smith, who... 
eventually meets this girl julia and the two of them kind of end up rebelling against this in some small way and we kind of see the don't want to spoil it but we kind of see the consequences of that um and that's basically the premise of the book so i just again when i was looking through these stories it just it blew my mind just we are living in 1984, just the complete gaslighting, the manipulation, the controlling of language and the controlling of our of, and misrepresenting history and what has happened. And the first story that I think relates a lot to that is, as many of you know, around a week ago, Biden tested positive for COVID. Um, he's like out of quarantine now, so it's a bit, a bit late on this. Um, so I do apologize for that, but he had pretty mild symptoms, quarantined, whatever. He's back now. Um, and I wish him well, you know, I'm not here to wish I'm bad on anyone regardless of any, anything really. Um, plus besides for that, we could not, oh my gosh, we could not have had a sick Biden because Kamala Harris had to take over for any amount of time our country would go downhill so fast it would be just unbelievable um but besides for that that's not really what I wanted to focus on what I wanted to focus on is the way that the White House kind of again changed reality changed used language and used manipulation to change what people know to be true so we had our lovely, brilliant, articulate press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, give a little update when she was asked, where do we think Biden got COVID? Because he had been in Massachusetts and he had also been in the, in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia. So, of course, that would be a valid question, you would think. But here is what she had to say. I don't think that that matters, right? I think what matters is we prepared for this moment. I think what matters uh, is what Dr. Jha just laid out. Uh, if we look at where we were, were a year and a half ago, this is a president, when he walked in, one of his first priorities was to make sure we had a comprehensive plan to get people vaccinated. And so now today, look, look to today, more and more people are getting closer to having a more normal life. Uh, vaccines are available. And as Dr. Jha said, if you have not gotten vaccinated, please do if you have not if you're if you have not gotten boosted please do uh, these are uh, these are treatments that are going to keep you safe and I think that's what matters here is making sure that we continue to do the work and the good thing is that uh, the president again has been uh, uh, vaccinated and double boosted it does not matter well so I don't know about any of you but I have this very clear memory of there being something called contact tracing, you know, or when you went to the airport or just the general rhetoric in the media was that you have to know who you were in contact with. And if you get COVID, those people have to be informed and they have to quarantine and who who was near you. And that was a big, big, big aspect of how how COVID was dealt with. Not saying I agree with it. I, of course, completely disagree with it on so many fundamental levels but and scientific levels. But besides for that, um, besides for any of that, just it seems like that all went out the window, which it's odd because we have gotten a little bit of a different, I guess, um, narrative from other officials in the White House, you know, different people involved with COVID response who have said that they are con they did contact trace um, this was days ago, obviously, they did contact trace and inform those who Biden was close to. Um, so 
I'm not sure what is the official White House policy. It seems like every single person in that White House is just perpetually on a different page. They're, they they can't keep it together in any meaningful sense. But besides for that, just th- this this line from Karine Jean-Pierre just kind of, I guess, bothered me. She is obviously the official spokesperson, really, for the official White House policy. So regardless of what any, any, whatever anyone else said, this is a clear attempt by her to send a message that somehow it doesn't matter. Contact tracing doesn't matter. And again, so that's, let's bring it back to this 1984 thing, right? So they want you, as the public, to just accept that. To say, well, I guess it doesn't matter. I'm not going to question why. Happens to be the CDC policy on contact tracing did change a few months ago. That was more like a, a technical and more of a practical change, not as a response to lots of, you know, research and seeing that it doesn't work. They'll never admit that what they did doesn't work. Um, but that was more for that. But it seems like the White House official policy based on these other people and based on the, them constantly saying that COVID isn't over, LA County reinstating mask mandates indoors, all that. So it seems to be that their rhetoric is that COVID is not over. But then again, they are trying to manipulate you, the public, into believing that it does not matter where Biden got COVID and you should not question that. You should not question why they've been caring for so long about contact tracing. Why in October of 2020, when there was that after Amy Coney Barrett had been nominated and there was a whole thing at the White House and then a bunch of people got COVID and it was really a super spreader event and Trump was blasted for not contact tracing. But now when we have Karine Jean-Pierre saying that it doesn't matter, we're supposed to forget all that. Forget the history. Again, like 1984, it's Orwellian. Forget the history forget what you know to have been historically true and we are correct it does not matter if it contradicts our past statements it does not matter that it doesn't follow any logic does not matter that it makes no sense in any sense in any form follow what we say so kind of a big thing with 1984 is that it's it's just so prophetic that you can basically open up to any page put close your eyes point your finger and you'll find a line that is just so indicative of this era. So I did pick out one that really stands out for this story specifically. It is, every record has been destroyed or falsified, every book rewritten, every picture has been repainted, every statue and street building has been renamed, every date has been altered, and the process is continuing day by day and minute by minute. History has stopped. Nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right. (laughs) You can't help but laugh because it's so true. We saw it in a literal sense where they are literally knocking down statues. By the way, some of those statues were abolitionists, not even slave owners, but that's irrelevant. Knocking down statues, right? Changing everything has to be censored. Everything has to be completely in alignment with the current liberal world order or this liberal agenda and if not it's destroyed so there's that literal sense and there's also again this sense there's this just general manipulation from this white house in this case and many other cases where you have to forget history forget what we told you because again this last line an endless present in which the party is always right we are correct right now we're saying contact tracing doesn't matter forget about that history we're always correct and a big thing in 1984, a way they did this in a literal sense was there's a term memory hole. It's still used today. Again, there's so many terms from 1984 um, that 
are just commonly used in, in pop culture today one of those is memory hole where the way that they were falsifying records and destroying things that no longer matched the current party rhetoric was and this was the job of the main character winston smith his government job you would they would literally throw down kind of like a trash shoot type of thing um anything that didn't match right so any book that talked about something that the party no longer says is true that they've kind of just gone off of that narrative you had to toss it get rid of it it never existed it never existed because the party is always correct always has been and anything that they say that contradicts the past the past gets erased so that is a big thing I wanted to talk about with COVID because the the hypocrisy is mind it's really mind-blowing there's another aspect again we like to not only change the past and make you forget about the past but again a huge huge theme in 1984 is the importance of language and how language can be manipulated to manipulate people and we saw that recently in the white house deciding that a recession no longer means what a recession used to mean Typically, we knew what a recession meant. There was, of course, different nuances and different complicated economic situations. No one's denying that. But a general kind of technical, easy for the public to understand definition of a recession was two consecutive quarters of GDP falling, of a negative GDP growth. So let's, okay, so that's kind of what the definition was. Now we kind of have a little bit of gaslighting because... Today is Wednesday. For me, it's Wednesday night. I'll probably be putting this out tonight, but if I put it out tomorrow, either way, Thursday, so either today, if this is Thursday when you're listening to this, or tomorrow, we are going to get our second quarter GDP numbers. Our first quarters were negative. They dropped. And now there's kind of these projections that they're likely to drop again. So the White House, of course, had to get ahead of things, had to make sure that you know that just in case these numbers come in and show another quarter of of negative growth, of, of falling in GDP, just in case that happens, just so you know, a recession does not just rely on that. It relies on many different things. And they put out this whole, I'm flipping through it now, they just put out this whole statement explaining in different details why that is they talked about how there's other value because the official people who kind of announced a recession um the nber so they had these different indicators right real income minus transfers real spending industrial production employment all these different things and they start showing these charts and they all these things explaining why all different factors this and that means there's no recession So again, I'm not denying that a recession is an economically complicated situation. I'm not denying that. But what I am denying is the fact that GDP doesn't matter. It does. And not only does GDP matter, historically, it has been an indicator of a recession. Every single time there has been a fall in GDP since 1948, two consecutive quarters of a fall in GDP since 1948, Every single time it's happened, there has been a recession. And that's according to the official, the NBER, National Bureau of Economic Research. That has happened every single time. So saying, even if you were to claim that it is a complicated situation, even if you were to claim that, to deny 
the important role that GDP plays and to deny that it has been universally used as a very easy technical definition that is a strong indicator of recession. To deny that is simply denying what has always been true. It's deny. it's changing the definition. And again, that is such a big part of how you control people, how you manipulate them, how you get them to think what you want them to think is you change the language. You can't change the, the reality. So you just change the language and that changes people's realities. It changes what they think. And there's another aspect to this as well. Besides for the Biden administration, completely changing the language and using that changed language to manipulate people, which is, again, just like in 1984, there there's jobs in the government where they are. Their job is to make a new dictionary, is to completely change the entire language because there is such power in language. When you change language, you can change the way people think. If you don't have a word for rebellion, you can't rebel. That's essentially a big premise of 1984. But there's another aspect besides for all of that. The Biden administration has not only said that there was no recession, they have denied what people know to be true, which is that people are suffering, people are struggling. Gas prices have been dropping, but they are still extremely high. Food prices are high. Inflation is skyrocketing, unprecedented levels. And what do we get from the Biden administration? The economy is doing great, folks. And we say folks. I don't know why. To establish rapport or something, it's not working. <laughs> Newsflash. But they, they just, they want you to not only change the way you think based on definitions. They want you to deny what you know. What you as an everyday American know to be true, which is that the economy is not doing well. As of July 18th, Biden's approval rating is around 38%. His approval rating on the economy is even lower at 30%. And on inflation, it's 25%. So clearly, people do not not feel that the economy is healthy, that they are doing well. They feel it. You know, they feel it when they go to fill up gas. They feel it when they go to get groceries. They feel it when they go to buy a house. So clearly... The American people do not agree with what Biden says. And what the White House says is that everything is great, folks. So what essentially, when they say these things, what they want you to do is, again, not change only the way you think based on their changing definitions. They want you to change what you know to be true by experiencing the world and by observing and by living in reality. They essentially want to change reality. So, again, like I said, there's always something in 1984 that's going to mirror this. So, I've got a couple quotes here. So, one, the party told you to reject the evidence of your eyes and ears. It was their final, most essential command. Because at the end of the day, the way that these people are controlled is they they control you by saying that nothing you see, nothing you believe is true. Only what we say is true. Deny everything you experience because none of that is real. Does not matter if you understand it to be logically true, to be morally true, to be historically true. It's simply not unless we say it is. An even more fundamental way of explaining this, and this is such a huge theme motif in the book, is the idea that two and two making four is such a, a 
an indicative thing. And that fact being true is indicative that you are able to think freely. So there's this quote, freedom is the freedom to say that two plus two makes four. If that is granted, all else follows. Because if you are able as a person to think logically that when I hold up two fingers and I add two more, that makes four. That's a logical way of thinking. That is a thought process, right? So if you are able to think that, then everything else can follow. Then you have, are able to think freely. You are able to think th- things through. But the whole, and this is such a big theme in the book as well, trying to force, we see it kind of near the end of the book um, with Winston, which I'm not going to spoil anything, but trying to force people to say two and two makes five. Because if you can force them to deny everything they understand to be true about the world, such, to such fundamental levels that you can convince them to say two and two makes five, deny everything they know, then you virtually have complete control of them. You have complete control of their mind because then you can tell them anything. That is how brainwashing works. That is how manipulation works. That is how gaslighting works. And that is exactly what the White House is doing. It is Orwellian. It is dystopian. And it is unacceptable. And we as the American people, our job must be to continue to fight back with truth, with logic, and, you know, we see it in the polls. People don't agree with what Biden is doing. And, it, of course, I think in November with the midterms, we will see that people do not like this kind of manipulation constantly from these leftists. So that is recession. Next thing I want to talk about is another aspect of how you control people. And there's two stories that are related to this. Another big way of control, how you control people is you control them through fear. You make them afraid. You make them want to fight against something or someone. A big, big thing in 1984 is something called the two minutes hate. It's these two minutes where they kind of show this guy who's like against the government on the screen and they make you yell at him, get mad, angry, throw things at the screen. All this to kind of rally the people up against this one person who represents the opposite of what the government stands for and what the government wants you to believe. So two things that we see this often in is climate change and a new one before it was COVID. Now they're kind of switching over to monkeypox. So what these kind of two things are is they want you to panic. They want you, first of all, they want you to deny deny logic in your panic because we have... Just, I have one article here. I have three different estimations for when the world is supposed to end. I've got 2030, I've got under seven years from now, and I've got 2031. We've seen it historically. We First it was, it was you know, we had acid rain, we had global cooling, we had the ozone layer now, and we had global warming, and now it's just climate change. And you know why? There's something, again, it's language. It's the way they play with language. We saw it. They redefine things. They use language to manipulate. They redefine women. They redefine recession. By using the words climate change, those are very broad, very floaty, non-concrete words, right? Climate change. The climate is changing. When you say global warming, that's very easy to refute, right? If it gets colder, you can say, look, no global warming. But with climate change, it's just this broad idea out in the ether somewhere that the climate is changing and that is a catastrophe. So that's just one aspect is that they control through language. They're able to control you and again make you deny what you know to be true because was there acid rain no global cooling global warming did any of that kill us no is the ozone layer about to kill us also no 
we're, we're okay. You know, I'm not saying that the climate isn't changing and that we shouldn't try to be green if possible. I'm not saying that. I think that these broad kind of climate actions are terrible for economies globally and that we should not be doing things like the Green New Deal, which will absolutely destroy the middle class. But just one, again, just as a general point, they want you to deny what you know to be true. Same thing with monkeypox. They want you to deny what you know to be true. And I'm going to get into the fear thing in a minute. I kind of got one on a tangent there, but they want you to deny what you know to be true. What we know to be true is right now there are three in America, last time I checked, there are 3,846 cases of monkeypox in the U.S. And another fact that we know to be true is that around 99% of these domestic cases are from male-to-male sexual contact. So my first thought is I think I'm okay. I think I will survive this one. I just just have just have a logical hunch. But again, logical hunches don't matter. What you know, what you've experienced in the world doesn't matter. They want you to panic. And that's my next point I want to get into. Is a big part of what makes this manipulation work is panic, is fear. Is that the world is going to end. You're going to get monkeypox. You're going to get COVID. All these terrible things that could happen. And again, but coming back to the two minutes hate thing, the, I think there's kind of a two-part way that they do this. I think the first part is they get you to kind of hate a concept, right? So they make, they, in the case of 1984, you're so brainwashed that anything the government says, any anything that they say, you kind of already, already are automatically aligned with that idea. So with here, the first thing the government has to do is make you believe these concepts, is make you believe that climate change is going to kill you, make you believe that you should be terrified of monkeypox, regardless of your logic. And then once they do that, then anyone who goes against these ideas is kind of deemed this kind of shadowy character who you should throw chairs at and who you should hate. Two minutes hate, right? And that is, again, how the government is able to control people. Because if they can get, get you to hate something and just be so so convinced in their ideas, they can make you so afraid that you will believe them, they have complete control over you. And that is really, that's, that's really how they do this. That's, that's essentially, like, and that's why 1984, that's why the, the title of this episode is that... It, it really is an instruction manual. It can be used as one. It so clearly shows how people are manipulated. And, but it's, we see how the government is really taking it a little bit too much to heart. And that's not really what we want. We, we don't really want that. Um, I think we want a free society. That's, I think, a general consensus among most rational human beings on earth. So those are the stories I wanted to cover today. Um, I feel like, Definitely my takeaway or the takeaway I would want you to get from this is read 1984. It's so relevant. It's not only that, it's entertaining. There's a good plot. Brilliant, brilliant just motifs and different kind of phrases and phraseology throughout that kind of stick out, you know. There's the the famous party slogan, war is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength. This idea that they can completely just control the language and just make things that are completely contradictory actually non-contradictory because 
because it's just what it's what they have decided to be true they're, it's just they're so memorable these little lines these little smart things that George Orwell just incorporates it's brilliant it's really brilliant like again it feels it feels silly saying like oh George Orwell is brilliant like no duh <laughs> but I it's just it's entertaining you know the characters are interesting there's drama it's it's entertaining you know there's parts that are slow but there's those slow parts are extremely important just to get those themes but there's also fast-paced parts there's the ending is memorable I'm not gonna say again I don't want to spoil it but it's memorable that's all I'll say but definitely go to your library um go look on your bookshelf go order it online and read it it is such a such a good book it's an easy read even if you're new to classics also I want to do an episode on classics classic literature classic radio um I think that'd be interesting so if you are listening to this and want to give me feedback and if you think that's a good idea let me know and just in general if you have anything you want to let me know you know where to email and that leads me to my last thing for today I have a question that I was asked so I want to take a minute to answer it so this question is from Hadassah so shout out to you and it's funny because this wasn't even intentional but it kind of aligns with this whole theme that I've been talking about for the past half hour um but it's it's so it's it's such an interesting question and it's it's interesting because it's actually something I've been debating with myself with about for a long time like it's something I've always been very on the fence on and that is gay marriage but she had a more more different more specific question about it so she said I understand the traditional conservative perspective, right, that gay marriage, the traditional definition of marriage is between a man and a woman. That's a, that's just the definition. And But she said, you know, if we wanted to have some kind of non-marriage union, something that's different from marriage, but it's just kind of an official union that is not marriage between two men, like a same-sex union that's not marriage, would that be a better way to solve this, to make kind of both sides happy, I think essentially was the question. So I have a few points on this. I kind of want to just give my general opinion on gay marriage. So again, I've been very, very on the fence for a long time because part of my brain is like, no, like that's not how marriage works. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Like that's, you know, the conservative part of my brain speaking, but the libertarian part of my brain speaking is like people can do what they want. I don't care. But then I'm like, wait, that's not actually libertarian because libertarian is about we don't, we don't want the government involved in it at all so then I was thinking and this is kind of a an opinion I've seen a lot lately and the reason this is all coming up is because they're and it was just passed in the house but what they're trying to do is codify same-sex marriage make it kind of enshrined in federal law so that no states can go against it um but what kind of I think I've seen people say a lot is why don't we just get government out of marriage in the first place why is government involved in marriage? First of all, 10th Amendment, federal government, and this kind of goes against why we should not be codifying same-sex marriage, get it out of government. 10th Amendment we just kind of speaks to why it shouldn't be in federal government because the federal government hasn't been granted explicit right to legislate on same-sex marriage, to legislate on marriage at all. Not same-sex or, or opposite sex. Marriage at all, federal government has no right, frankly, to legislate on. But again, if you were to go with the 10th Amendment, that means that issue should go to the states. So I think kind of a very basic, just very basic opinion is that it should go to the states. But if you want to get more into a nuance, like if you want me to really give you a true conservative answer, 
I think there's something deeper there. And that's why I think that this question is such a good one. So we have to discuss why the case, not a religious case, because I'm not a theocratic fascist, but not a religious case, but a more secular, just governmental, I guess, logical case against gay marriage. And that doesn't mean against gay relations, nothing like that. Just gay and gay same-sex couples in the institution of marriage. But I think a big thing is, okay, so anything that the government is going to be involved in has to have a purpose. Why is the government involved in this? What is their reason? Is this accomplishing something for society? Is this bringing a net good to society? Why is government getting involved, right? So you can argue that for same-sex couples, having a marriage, a stable kind of, like, irreversible, obviously it's reversible with divorce, but, like, you'd have to really go to steps to to reverse it, kind of a very solid relationship between a man and woman, then creates a stable, loving home for children, and that gives the reason, the government a reason to be involved in that, because it creates that structure and makes it stable, right? Um, of course, you could then argue that churches could do that, religious institutions could do that, but on a technical level, you know, there's different things that I think make that really not realistic to just completely just abolish any laws that have to do with marriage. But then if you were to apply that same question to gay marriage, of course, and this is why I think, again, this question is such a good one because it kind of solves a loophole that people could say. So if you're going to talk about gay marriage, then people could say, well, you could have gay marriage and that could also produce children, you know, obviously not in a traditional way, but then that also would require a stable home for those children. But then that's what, why, what you were saying, Hadassah, is such a good point, is that why don't we just create a different kind of alternative so when you when you said that my first thought was oh like that's basically I mean my brain just went oh common law marriage is basically that's the same goal basically so common law marriage is only in a few states but really not many at all but there are some states where like if you live together long enough if you're certain specific requirements you fill then you don't have to actually apply for a marriage license you can just kind of be married just without ever actually getting married and then you'd have to, like, actually file for divorce if you were to separate. Um, it, it's a complicated process, and it's not in a lot of states. But again, my brain automatically went there when you said that, because I'm like, oh, it kind I see what your point is in that it's there's some kind of technical, kind of technical good to having um, marriage in some sense, some kind of union that's not really marriage, some kind of union between two people. Um... So that's kind of one point that I want to bring out. And that's why I think that re really kind of just give my closing, I guess, thoughts on this. I do think because, again, I've been so on the fence for so long. And I think obviously the best alternative is get government as much out of it as possible. But I also think that if we if that is not the case, then the real, real genuine reason um, for distinguishing between same-sex and opposite-sex opposite, opposite sex marriage is because, again, why is the government involved? If the government is going to get involved, there must be a reason for it to get involved, you know, and that reason can't for opposite-sex does not apply in the same ways to same-sex, but if you were to argue that it does, then again, that's why I think some kind of union, maybe that's for, I don't know, whatever things come along with marriage, you know, tax benefits, different legal benefits and things like that um different insurance benefits you, you name it so if you were to argue then that 
um, marriage is important for those reasons, then why don't we just have, yeah, I see what you're saying, some kind of non-marriage union. And it also does save the conservative perspective that we can't just redefine words. We can't, This is going back to today's topic. We can't redefine words. We can't redefine things that have been universally true for reasons that are important and, va- and meaningful reasons. So... I think I I think that again I so I'm very on the fence with this and I'm going to be honest I'm not claiming to be an expert in this I'm just saying what I've heard from other people what I've developed on my own through loads of thinking so I'm not going to leave you with a real conclusion of what I think the solution is but I am going to say that in general I do not like government being involved in such things and I think that if the government is going to be involved in such things there ought to be a good reason for it and I think that if we were to argue that there is a good reason for it then there must be some other way that we can allow that to kind of happen for same-sex couples without completely redefining an institution that has been around for thousands and thousands of years. And another argument against redefining marriage or the redefinition of marriage that has happened is that that then risks people to be forced, you know, churches, religious institutions to be forced to recognize gay marriage and marriages that do not align with their religious beliefs. So I think that's also a scary thing to think about is that what are the implications of this continued push to kind of redefine marriage in a federal level um, besides for the judicial aspect of it. Um, and we've seen it play out, you know, before. Um, so I think that definitely that's just something to think about as well. So that's kind of where I want to end this. I'm sorry if that was a little bit inconclusive, not such a clear, straight yes, no answer, just kind of me going through different reasonings. And just my, really just my pure train of thought, I have a few notes written down and that's about it. Um, But just kind of where my brain automatically kind of goes. So um, I hope that was kind of sufficient and I'm sorry and I know I'm going to get hate for this. Um, Hey, you're welcome to email me. Um, So let's just close this out. So if you want to email me questions, thoughts, suggestions, you know where to email, prepare to turn right podcast at gmail.com. And I hope you enjoyed the episode. Bye, guys. Thanks for turning right. 